Is it possible for an adult to go so crazy she thinks she's in high school? And then we take a look at a young man who had a hard time getting a good night's sleep. Why, you ask? Well, that's a question that we should pose to the boy with no eyes that stood next to his bed. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's been an awesome day. I went for a great walk and I bought a $2 lottery ticket and I won 18 bucks. What? That's awesome. And then I bought some new speakers for my computer. The $18 speaker. Actually, they're $19. So I paid an extra dollar. But still, I got some cool speakers. I came home and I just watched the Batman trailer over and over again. We haven't talked about that. The new Batman trailer. You're like, Jason, this is a normal podcast. Of course we didn't talk about that. The trailer looks dope. Looks awesome. If you haven't seen it yet, Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League. A bunch of great stuff for nerds coming out. New Mutants. The movie I've waited 30 years for that I can't go see because... I don't trust my local theater to have good cleaning. Sorry, guys, but you're staffed by teenagers. But I did, because I'm such a nerd. This is my nerd moment I'm sharing with you guys. I bought a ticket for the New Mutants, and I'm going to frame it. I bought it online. I'm going to frame that ticket. I've been a New Mutants fan since 88. I've been waiting all this time to see this movie. Eh, what are you going to do? To me, it's not worth the risk. But you know what is worth the risk? Introducing our newest Patreon, Get In Here. He's like, well, that's a weird introduction. I didn't think I was risky. Young Ghidorah. Young Ghidorah, thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really helps out a lot. You're going to be our captain, our co-pilot. Not our co-pilot, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. Just help get the word out about the show. That really helps out as well. Young Ghidorah, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Let's drive cross-country. We are headed out to Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's a car driving. (laughs) Sounds like it needs some engine checkup. Cars don't normally sound like that, unless you're in Speed Racer. We're driving through Green Bay, Wisconsin. So it's a pretty big city, right? I think. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't research the city. This isn't a geography podcast, thankfully. We're headed to Ashwaubenon High School. It's September 2nd, 2008. So let's put on our letterman's jacket, guys. We're all dressed up, pushing people around. We're the jocks in this school. (laughs) They're like, dude, you guys need to play sport. We're like, we're playing the sport of hard knocks. We're just pushing people around. That's not even a sport. It's the first day of school. It's September 2nd, 2008. And while we're standing there, we're looking at all these new kids shuffle into the school. And I turn to you and I say, one of these kids, look at all these kids, see him? <laughs> see him? Point, point at him. They're like, yeah, I know what looking at kids means, Jason. One of these kids will not be here two weeks from now. Well, that's pretty ominous, right? Pretty ominous. Most of this information, and I was really introduced to this story when I read an article in The Atlantic written by Jeff Mesh. So I wanted to give him credit for that. It's a really compelling story. I was so invested in the story. I started watching movies based on this story. We'll get to that in a second. So let's go back in time a couple months. We're pushing We're pushing the time matrix back. Get out of our way, time matrix. Now we're back in time. We'll, we will bully the fourth dimension. We're now back in time a couple months. And we're going to meet a woman named Wendy Brown. She's 33 years old, and she's walking through the store. She's seeing all this back-to-school stuff, and she's like... 
if only she's like touching the target display. <laughs> They're like, ma'am, you got to leave the store. You can't keep coming in here and touching our back to school display. Wendy Brown got pregnant when she was in high school. So she had to drop out of high school, took care of her firstborn son, and then she got pregnant again and had a daughter named Jamie. And she thought her life wasn't going the way that it should. And to double things, to make things even worse, her little sister was a cheerleader for their high school team, super popular, all that stuff. And she was just kind of looking at it and saying, my sister has everything. And I left behind my high school dreams to have these kids. It's the year 2008. Her daughter is no longer living with her. And I don't believe her son is either. I think her son has moved on. Not as in passed away, but it's just not there anymore. Her daughter, though, was 16 years old. And she was living in Nevada with her grandma. Her daughter, at this point, was 15 years old. Jamie was 15 years old. And was estranged from... Wendy. So the daughter was actually living with her grandma, Wendy's mother, in Nevada. So Wendy has no kids with her. She's looking at all this back-to-school stuff, and something sparks in her head. She goes, what if... Hmm. Hmm. And security's escorting her out of Target. She's like, no, no. Let me just touch the display one last time. Get out of here. As they throw her onto the concrete, she looks up at the clouds, and she goes, what if I could be my daughter?" Not in a Freaky Friday sort of way. In an identity theft sort of way. In a, I'm just going to steal her identity. Everyone said Wendy always looked young. She was fairly short and she weighed like 110 pounds. She was quite tiny. I think she was like 5 foot 210 pounds. People always said how young she looked. And she's thinking about it. People do say I look young. And I know all this stuff about a 15 year old girl. She enrolls herself at Ashwabanan high school, which I'm going to, for now on, just call the high school, right? The high school. She enrolls herself in school as Jamie and uses her maiden name, which is the name that Jamie was going by. She uses her maiden name and she sits down with a counselor and she goes, you know, I want to get enrolled in school. I'm a transfer student from Nevada. I just moved out here. And the counselor goes, oh, okay, you know, that part would check out because she does exist. She's currently in school in Nevada. And the counselor said after she got interviewed, that should give you an idea of where this story's going, the counselor said she looked a little old. She looked a little older than I would think a 15-year-old would look, but she acted like a teenager. So I just figured, oh, you know, sometimes sometimes people have Benjamin Button disease, right? Who am I to judge? So the counselor enrolls her in the school, and as Jamie is leaving, she turns to the counselor and she goes, when are cheerleader tryouts? So Wendy Brown using the name Jamie, 33-year-old woman, is now enrolled at this high school. And it's a couple weeks before school starts, and she finds out when cheerleader tryouts are. She goes and she tries out for the team. And she's sitting there, and she's watching everyone do gymnastics and stuff like that, and she's like, oh, I can't do... I wasn't able to do any of that stuff when I was in high school, let alone 33 years old. So she's kind of like doing her routine and stuff like that. Lo and behold, she gets accepted onto the high school cheerleading team. Now, she is just, like, her heart's a flutter. Could also be because she did cardio for the first time in 20 years. But she's like, oh my god, like, my dreams are coming true. And she starts to get in her head that she can actually redo high school. She can have these experiences again. She's like, oh, someday I'll have my first kiss, (laughs) forgetting that she has two children out there. Oh, my first kiss. Never been kissed. 
She can live her life again and this time basically by resetting things, maybe things will turn out the way that she wanted. Now, obviously, she's starting to have a delusion because at some point, things aren't going to work out. September 2nd, 2008. That's the first day of school. We're back at school. We're sitting in the back of class like all the cool kids. We're putting our feet up on the back of other students' chairs. They're like, ah, not these oafs again. Wendy's first day of school goes great. She helps stick up for a girl who's like, people are ignoring and being mean to her. She walks up to the girl and she goes, they're just jealous of you. You have something they don't have. Be true to yourself. Stuff that a mom would say, or a good friend, or someone out of a sitcom. She has that experience. She sticks up for someone who's lonely. She's a cheerleader. She's walking around in her uniform. She goes to choir And is such a powerful singer, the teacher's like, whoa, you have such a mature voice. She gets put on the choir. What is that, the choir squad? Is that a thing? Is it just choir? What's a group of choir? Anyway, she's on the choir squad. They got Letterman jackets. And so everything's going great. Everything is going exactly how she dreamt about all these years when she thought, if only she had another chance. September 8th rolls around. So only six days later, we're sitting in detention because we keep messing with all the students. And also in detention, keeping an eye on us, is associate principal Dirk Ribbons. Now, he was a stickler for attendance. Of course, he wants to make sure that students are engaged, they're learning. But the big part of that is you have to physically be there. So when he sees this student, Jamie had only attended school for one day, the first day and then disappeared, set off alarm bells. And not the fire alarms that we were pulling that landed us in detention in the first place. No, 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 no. Actually, I think that's a crime. So the police are on their way. He's trying to figure out, hey, why did this Jamie girl only come on the first day? Where is she at now? They have a school resource officer, a school police officer named Don Penza. Hey, Don, can you go check out, look up this uh, Jamie girl, find out, go talk to her parents or something like that because she should be here. Don's like, yes, yes, master, I will go gargoyle he flies off into the distance (sighs) he goes and he skulks up to the house no one's there no one's at home and he's like that's weird (laughs) my job's done he just told me to check so at that point don and dirk are kind of talking to each other and dirk goes okay i'm gonna have to follow up on this be gone my minion yes master Don Pinza just freezes in place as a frozen gargoyle. Dirk calls up the school in Nevada and goes, hey, we just had a transfer student named Jamie come from your school to here, and she hasn't been here in five days. We can't get a hold of her parents. Does she have attendance problems at your school as well? And the person in Nevada goes, "Uh, Jamie's in school right now. Jamie is attending our school right now. I can even make sure he's looking through the door. Yeah, I see her right now. Jamie is here. Hmm, Dirk says as he strokes his beard. Or not. I don't know if he has a beard. He has one for this story. Dirk gets the grandma's phone number from the Nevada school, talks to the grandma, and the grandma goes, oh, you might need to talk to Wendy. Wendy Brown, that's Jamie's mother. She has a history of committing identity theft. And Dirk's like, hmm. (laughs) His beard's a little bit longer now. He strokes it a little more. Dirk does eventually track down Wendy Brown. She's in county jail. What had happened is right after school had started, she had gotten arrested for identity theft. She denies this. She denies this. But what happened was somebody said that she claimed to be a landlord 
and they wrote her a $750 check as a deposit for a place, and then Wendy just disappeared with it. So she got on the cheerleader squad. She was accepted into the choir league. She had that perfect first day of school, and then the police show up and say, you're under arrest for identity theft. So she's sitting in the jail cell when this whole thing unravels. And unravel it did, because it became national news at the time. You had a mom pretending to be a teenage cheerleader. It, it's just ripe for tabloids. And you had a bunch of different reactions. The daughter didn't want to be interviewed. She, she was like, I'm estranged from my mother. I don't care what she was doing. I don't want to know anything. The school itself has pretty much covered the entire thing up. They're like, we don't even want to talk about it. The cheerleading squad doesn't want to talk about it. You have other people in town who think it was super funny. You had a team, a powder puff football team, which is a girl football team called the Windy Browns, and their color was prison orange. Prison jumpsuit orange was their jersey color. So you had different takes on it within the city itself. Nationwide, it was treated as a joke. But the real thing was she actually was going to face trial for this. I don't know what the charges were involving the check. I don't know if they were even able to prove that because she claimed that she never had anything to do with it. But she was actually charged with identity theft. And this is one of those weird cases where you had experts come out to diagnose her. You had experts for the defense. You had experts for the prosecution. She was diagnosed uh, with a bipolar, PTSD, and two separate personality disorders. And you had Dr. Ralph Baker say uh, she was really convinced. She really convinced herself that she could make her entire life better if she enrolled in school. And he goes, quote, her fantasy of finishing high school and becoming a cheerleader became a delusion, unquote. So she actually began to meet the medical definition of, I mean, crazy is not a medical definition, but... It no longer be, you know, someone who commits identity theft generally has an end goal. She was basically, it was going from simply being an identity theft to almost slipping into a fantasy world where she can reset things if she can relive her high school years. This is one, this is what I was saying earlier. This is one of those weird cases where the defense and the prosecution uh, teamed up uh, Wonder Twin style and they said the defense turned into a bucket of water. And the prosecution turned into a unicorn, and they said, we don't think her being put in jail is going to help her. She has some mental issues, and she needs the help she can get. So she actually, for this crime, which was identity theft, she wasn't sent to prison, but she was sentenced to three years in a mental hospital. While she was awaiting trial, she did get her GED. They said it was really hard because it might be kind of hard. You're trying, to, you're trying to do your test. People are shanking you. Stop it. Stop it. Come on. You're getting blood all over the test. Man, it's a Scantron too. They're going to accept that answer. She got her GED. So that's awesome. She served her time in the mental hospital and now she's back out. And she says, it's more embarrassing than anything, really. Like She goes, people in town either snicker or they try to avoid her and all this stuff. But... She seems to be better off. She continues to do interviews about the subject as well. I think this would be one of those crimes that in the end would just be more embarrassing than anything. Because you got caught and it became a national joke. You got a team named after you that's kind of making fun of you. But in the end, she seems to be doing better now. So that is the story of Wendy Brown. They did make a movie about it for like Lifetime or Hallmark Channel called Identity Theft of a Cheerleader, which I enjoyed. I actually really liked it. But that one, in that one, the character steals her daughter's identity and then goes on a murder rampage and begins killing 
everyone who comes close to knowing her secret. So she kills a couple cheerleaders and she kills her boyfriend because they're like, why is that 30 year old dude coming to school and like talking to you? And and like, you obviously know, know him. And she's like, Oh, that's just my uncle or my older brother or something like that. And then she like drops something on his head. She brutally murders all of these people. So even though it says based on a true story, the only thing true about it is a woman in her thirties, Stole her daughter's identity and used it to become a cheerleader. She did not. Actually, they both did end up in a mental hospital. But in the in the real world, Wendy got her degree. In the movie, they show the woman like they show the cheerleader. She's sitting in the mental hospital. She's like, "I'm a cheerleader now," and she's like super crazy. And then she rushes the camera like Samara from the Ring. It's like that real like jarring edit, which I don't think Wendy Brown did that. I don't think when Wendy Brown was in the mental hospital, I don't think they had a single light bulb in her mental hospital room and everywhere else was covered in darkness. And she's like, nah, 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 and then like running all, all like crooked and stuff like that. If she did, she shouldn't have been let out. If that happened a single time in the three years, the staff should have been like, no, this is obviously a wraith ghost. Now she's singing lullaby songs and moving, moving like film has been sped up. Don't let her out. No, Wendy, Wendy seems to be doing awesome now so that's really good i just wanted to tell that story i've actually been sitting on that one for quite a while i think we found the right time to tell it who doesn't need a little cheer in their lives especially when you win 18 dollars in the lottery young Ghidorah, we're leaving behind high school let's say goodbye to all the friends that we met we didn't meet any friends everyone has like sl- their arms and slings black eyes they're chasing us with their their crutches and stuff like that they're running all jagged we're like ah, ah we've created an army of samaras get in that carpenter copter young Ghidorah, and get us out of here we're flying away they're trying to grab on the helicopter we're kicking off these cheerleaders we're going to head out to a small american town Helicopters flying through the suburbs. The little kid's playing catch with his dad for the first time. Helicopter comes by, cuts the ball up. Expert piloting young Ghidorah. And we land in this dude's backyard. We're going to call this guy named Tony. This is a story that I got from Reader's Digest. If you're under the age of 85, Reader's Digest is a magazine. It's about the size of your hand and probably about as thick, assuming you're not the Hulk. And you can usually check it out next to the Archie comics. At the grocery store. High, high literature. High literature, I might say. But um, your mom would disagree with that. She'd be like, no, that's the best magazine ever. I love Reader's Digest. Okay, well, again, your mom is Laura Ingle Wild. I'm sure it's the talk of the town. But I have been getting some ghost stories from them lately, so I guess I can't complain too much. They got these stories from Reddit. So you could go, Jason, why couldn't you just go to Reddit and get these ghost stories yourself? And then I turn to you, and I say, we're at this dude's house. And we're going to call him Tony, because we don't have his name. He gives his name as K-Mendo4. So, that's obviously not his real name. That's his Reddit handle. But Tony is 10 years old. He's sleeping in his bed. Apparently, he's a character from Looney Tunes. That he actually makes there's a little feather going up and down on his mouth. And he hears his bedroom door open. Opens his eyes up a bit. What? The bed- bedroom door is not supposed to open. He says to himself. And then he feels the edge of his bed by his feet sink a bit. He's like, what? 
My bed shouldn't do that. My bed shouldn't sink a bit. He starts to feel something touch his leg. Now, he's thinking it's his mom because it's a dark room. He's 10 years old. His mom does have a habit of being invisible. You know, sometimes it happens. He's barely awake. He can't really see that well. He's thinking, well, maybe it's my mom walked in the room and wanted to wake me up and tell me something. But then he sees something at the edge of his bed. There's a little boy sitting there. Younger than him. Just sitting there on the edge of his bed. The boy turns and looks at Tony. And he has no eyeballs. Just black sockets in his head. Tony's looking at this kid. There's a little bit of fear is welling up inside of him. But at the same time, I think there's a certain bravado that comes when you're 10. Like on the one hand, kids are more scared of dumb stuff. But on the other hand, in the moment, because... If that happened to you as an adult, you know for a fact your adult brain says magic doesn't exist, ghosts don't exist, stuff like that. So when you see something that shouldn't exist, it can be more terrifying because you know the rules of the universe. Kids don't know the rules of the universe. That's why they'll sit and talk to imaginary friends, creep you out. Who are you talking to? And your daughter goes, the hanging man. You know that hanging men shouldn't be floating around your apartment. Your three-year-old doesn't. She just thinks that's something that happens. Oh, you know, sometimes old ghosts, old hanging ghosts float around. I don't know. I'm, I'm three. So this boy turns around. He has eyeless sockets. And the boy is also holding his hand out. And in his hand is a little box. Tony reaches out for the box. And the phantom closes his hand, snatches it back, and holds it close to him. Tony, watching all this, says, Give it. And the phantom disappears. I gotta admit, that's a pretty baller move. I don't think I'd ever demand anything of a ghost like that, other than like, get out! I might say that. But he wanted what this kid had. He demanded it, and the kid disappeared. Now, Tony just kind of brushes that off as maybe it was a dream, some weird experience. It's spooky. During the day, as your brain starts processing stuff, sometimes it can seem a little scarier, but it was just a mystery that was kind of in his head. Five years later, Tony is 15 years old. His girlfriend comes over to do her homework. So they're up there doing their little steady thing, doing homework and stuff like that. And she eventually says, I'm done doing homework. This learning's for nerds. I'm going to take a nap. And he goes, okay, I'll wake you up when your parents show up. So she falls asleep and he's sitting there. He's like, I'll show her nerds. I'll show them all as he tries. He throws away his homework. Now he's drawn up blueprints, his plan for revenge. Step one, carve out everyone's eyeballs. Step two, build a box. So, while he's coming up with his plans of world domination, his girlfriend's sleeping, and the parents show up to pick her up. So he, hey, wake up, wake up. He's like pushing her and stuff like that. He says that his girlfriend suddenly opened her eyes, and he's like, oh, job done. But she doesn't move. Her eyes are open, and she's staring at something in the corner, the upper corner of the bedroom. And her arm points out silently pointing towards the upper corner of the bedroom. Tony's looking at her, and his gaze follows her finger up to the corner of the bedroom. There's nothing there. Her arm falls back to her side. Her eyes close. She's fast asleep again. Now, he wakes her up. He has to wake her up because the parents are here. But he's also a little curious about what what that was all about. So he wakes her up, and she finally completely rouses from her sleep. He's like, hey, what happened? Like, I woke you up, you did this creepy thing, you're pointing your finger and stuff like that. Your girlfriend looks at him and goes, you didn't, you didn't see him? He's like, what, what are you talking about? I was pointing at him. 
I said, what do you mean? She said, up on the wall. I saw a little boy with, with no eyes. She said he was in a Spider-Man pose. So it was like his feet and his hands were stuck to the ceiling and the wall. And he was staring at her. She clearly saw it. And he said he had never told her the story about the eyeless boy. And that actually would make sense. Because that story took place and he was 10 years old. It was five years ago. He never told her. Five years later, he's 20 years old. He's with the same girlfriend. They actually have a kid now. They have a two-year-old daughter. And they move into his old house. His parents invite them to stay there so they can help take care of their grandkid. And his old bedroom becomes his daughter's bedroom. And Tony says he would wake up at night sometimes, walk through the house looking for something to eat or drink. It's in the fridge, dude. You don't have to look all over the house. But... As he would be walking through the house late at night, sometimes he would hear his daughter. And yeah, and then I got this big thing, and then, like, blew up. Apparently, I'm some sort of terrorist or something. He's like, what? What's my daughter? Oh, she takes after dad. Uh, he would hear his daughter talking to someone. A couple nights later, he'd wake up, couldn't sleep, walking through the house. Yay, and then we can keep playing. Yay, that'll be fun. Wee. He's like, what in the world? And he'd go and he'd put his ear to the door and he'd hear his daughter talking to someone. He says that happened almost every night. And then one day he goes, hey, daughter, come here. That I haven't named yet. You're two years old. We just call you daughter. Come here. I hear you talking late at night. Are you talking to your imaginary friend? And the daughter goes, I'm talking to a boy. He's nice. He's a nice little boy. Tony's just sitting there. Hair raising on the back of his neck. He's lost. The little boy's lost and he's looking for his mommy. Okay. <laughs> now, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this right now. <laughs> That's supposed to be... Okay. That was way creepier. That story was creepier the first two times I read it. The second time I read it, or this third time I've read it now, I realize it's kind of an anticlimactic ending. I mean, I get the, I, I, I thought, honestly, when I got to that last sentence, when I was reading it on my notes, I thought the little girl goes, made a reference to the boy having no eyes. Like, I guess that's the implication that it's the same boy. It's not like the bedroom just has a bunch of boys floating around in it. Wee, they form a boy band. <laughs> They're like, the eyeless ghost is like, uh, you can be the manager. We don't know what instrument you can play. He's like, Def Leppard had a one-armed drummer. You can have a blind keyboardist. Stevie Wonder. And they're like, uh, we'll figure out something for you. But, ghost boy band or not. I thought, one, I thought the story... I think the story's creepy. Let me recover. I think that is a creepy story, right? And it shows, one, that the ghost was around for a long time. This is what we call recovery mode. Sometimes it's what your computer does. Sometimes what it, it's what your podcaster does. The ghost was around for a long time. That's spooky, right? Because you have to think, how many times was that ghost hanging out in the corner of the room? Unnoticed. It's not like the dude just showed up three times. And he th showed up more than that. So he showed up twice. He showed up once for Tony. He showed up once for the girlfriend. But he's shown up multiple times for the little girl. If Tony had been... Seeing this ghost when he was younger, would if he would he have seen it multiple times? Did he see it multiple times when he was three or four and just doesn't remember? The idea of a ghost child in and of itself is spooky. But then you have a ghost child who is lost and looking for his mom and 
doesn't have any eyeballs, which would make it a Herculean task, right, to find your mom if you didn't have eyeballs. Because you can't see her. Like, logically speaking, you can't see her. So, spooky, spooky ghost story, right? Check. Reader's Digest, that's a sign of quality, right? Next, next thing I'll be doing is ghost stories from the old Farmer's Almanac. It's spooky. It's a spooky, it's a spooky story. Just because they weren't experiencing it all the time like the daughter was, doesn't mean it wasn't always there. And so that means, let's, let's wrap it up like this. You know how sometimes you're home alone and you get that weird sensation that someone else is there, but then it goes away. It's a fleeting feeling. Or you're shutting off the lights as you're getting ready to go to bed. And there's always that long hallway you look down, but one night you don't. One night something in your brain says, don't look down at tonight. Don't look down the hallway tonight. All of those are sensations that we shrug off because they happen from time to time. It's almost just part of having an overactive imagination. And I'm not saying that time where you decide not to look down the hallway. If you had, you would have seen the silhouette of a young boy standing there. I'm not saying that those times when you feel that there's something off in your house. Something doesn't feel right. You kind of look at the door to make sure it's locked. That while you're looking in one direction, a young spirit runs past you out of your field of vision. That time when you're walking to your car in the dark parking lot. That moment when you pull up to your residence and you shut off your headlights and that gulf between the safety of your car and the safety of your house seems like a mile. The time you're closing up your place of business, you're the last one out, and you swear you hear something in the back, but you're not going to check it out. I'm not saying that each one of those times involves some sort of phantom. I'm saying that the phantom is always present. It's always staring at you with soulless sockets. It's always in your back seat, in your closet, under your bed, inside your cupboard, standing right behind you. Always. We only rarely notice it. Think about how many times you go outside. And think about how many times you can accurately remember the wind brushing against your skin. It happens all the time. We always feel that breeze. The breeze is always there. It's always caressing us. We only notice it when it's coupled with another sensation. You feel the breeze touch your cheek, and you look over at your loved one. These ghosts, demons, phantoms, spirits are always standing right behind us always sitting on the edge of our bed. It's not unless there's an other element that makes us look a little bit harder into that shadow. A sound that makes us perk up and listen for the faint sounds of footsteps. We don't live in a world full of ghosts. Ghosts live in a world full of us. This is their realm. They can be wherever they want, whenever they want. And they can appear in front of you in a moment's notice, and destroy your sense of reality. But for whatever reason, they choose to stand in the shadows, watch, and wait. For when our mind is the most fragile, for when our bodies are the weakest, that is the moment where fear becomes terror, because then you know the truth. But by then, it's too late.
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.